I found out something very shocking this past week. And that is this. Not everyone reads the emails and the letters that I send out to the church. I know it's shocking, but it's, uh, it's something that I guess is true. And so because of that, <clears throat> I want to make sure you're aware of something very exciting going on here at Calvary. And it was something I sent out about two weeks ago. But we are working on a merger with a church named Grace Lutheran in Deep Haven, kind of on the border of Deep Haven and Minnetonka. It was something that was in our five-year vision that we rolled out after Easter, that we wanted to be a part of a church plant, planting another campus. We weren't really sure. We wanted to pray into that. And out of the blue, we got a call from this church wondering if we would consider partnering with them and essentially making them a Calvary campus. And so we're excited about what God is facilitating. We have started to work with a consultant on this. It's going to take a number of months, but we want you to be aware that this process is going on. We would love your prayers. The timeline right now is that we will probably have a congregational vote sometime, maybe at the end of March, beginning of April. We're not exactly sure. Uh, It's going to take a number of more months after that to figure out how to kind of mesh our ministries together. But I think it's a very exciting opportunity for us to further our mission that we've been given out even further west in the metro. And so again, please be praying about this. We'll have some information sessions coming up. And also, if you live closer to the Minnetonka area, we would love for you to consider and to pray about being a part of the launch team. And we'll have some more information about that in the weeks and months ahead. But again, we want you to make, be aware of this exciting thing that's going on. It's so amazing how God continues to move his mission forward, even in such a chaotic and crazy time like we're in these days. Well, I love comeback stories. You know, if you're watching the Olympics, the Super Bowl, the World Series, some big event, And somebody comes on to tell a story about an athlete or someone else. And, you know, there's some dramatic music that takes place. And then maybe there's a tragedy or there's some huge difficulty. But then that person rises above it and they make a comeback. And it's this amazing triumph. Maybe you can think of a story like that that you've seen or heard about. Just a couple weeks ago, the NFL gave out their Comeback Player of the Year award. It's something they do every single season. And this year, the award winner of the Comeback Player of the Year was Alex Smith, who is the quarterback of the Washington football team. You may or may not be aware, two years ago, Alex was hit in the game and had a horrific leg Uh, injury. It was a compound fracture in two different places. So he was rushed out of the game and into surgery. But after surgery was completed, they found out that he also had a horrible infection in his leg, and it was flesh-eating bacteria. And so he not only was in danger of losing his leg, he was actually in danger of losing his life. He had 16 more surgeries But then this year, he started six games for the Washington football team. And in those six games, he went five and one and made this incredible comeback. Now, I was reading a story about Alex, and they said 
to commemorate this comeback, his wife gave him this amazing gift. You see, she took the brace that his leg was put in for many months, and she fashioned it into a Super Bowl trophy, something that he could remember this amazing comeback that he had completed. Now, personally, the idea and the possibility of a comeback gives me great hope and comfort. Because, you know, sometimes I get up here, I try to preach a message, it completely flops. But I always know there's a possibility of a comeback the next week. And so today in James chapter 4, what we're going to read about is how every one of us, because of the sin in our life, because of our evil deeds and desires, every one of us is in need of a comeback. But the good news of the gospel is that God makes that possible. He wants every one of us, no matter who we are, to come back to him. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. If you have them with you, turn on your Bible if it's on your phone or your tablet. And today we're going to look at James chapter 4, starting with verse 1. James chapter 4 starting with verse 1. And just a reminder, the book of James is in the New Testament towards the back of your Bible. It comes right after the book of Hebrews. It's right before all of the letters that Peter and John write. It's before the book of Revelation. So you can look up James chapter 4, starting with verse 1. And here's what he has to say to us today. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, 
and he will lift you up in honor. Now, I think there are times in our life when we suddenly realize that we are far from God, that he is distant from us, and we might not have even noticed that this has happened, but the cause is things like the choices we make, maybe the priorities that we've put at the forefront of our life, maybe it's the busyness that we find ourselves in, maybe it's just the selfishness that we have inside of us. You know, the tendency we have to try to go our own way, to do our own thing. Now, sometimes it takes a storm in life. It takes a traumatic season for us to wake up to this reality, to notice that we've drifted away, that we've become separated from God. And it's in those moments, and maybe you're there today, where the question becomes, How can I make a comeback? How can I come back to God and reestablish the relationship that I want and he wants? Now, I think most people would assume there's got to be some sort of checklist, right? Just a list of bullet points. Do these things and then it will all be okay, I mean, that's how life often works, right? If you're in grade school and you find yourself getting way behind in a class, well, probably you're going to go meet with the teacher. You're going to find out what can you do to make up the ground that you've lost. You know, maybe there's extra credit. Maybe you can redo some tests. Go through these things, and then you won't be so far behind. Well, even in the Old Testament, there are many, many instructions given to the people of God for what they can do when they find themselves separated from God. Oftentimes it included a journey to the temple. You would buy whatever animal you could afford. You would go and make a sacrifice of that animal and the shedding of its blood would signify the substitute for your sin and your separation. So when we today find ourselves disconnected from God, when we find ourselves distant from him, what's our list? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go find a small farm animal and bring it to church? Please don't. But what is the checklist that we need to go through? Well, today, our passage from James chapter 4, I think describes our situation very clearly. But then he also gives us a clear way forward. So what James starts with is something very general, but something I think we can all relate to. He starts with the fighting and the division and the conflict that we find in our lives and in our world. He starts with a question. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? We have way too many conflicts and fights in our world, in our country, and most certainly in our own lives today. And it affects all different types of relationships. We can experience this in our marriages. We can experience this in our friendships. We can experience this at work. Oftentimes today, we experience it in social media with people that we have never met before in our entire lives life. Today, people love to fight over politics 
over vaccines, over whether schools should be open or not. The list goes on and on. And to a culture like ours that is way too familiar with fighting and division, James asks the question, what causes all this? What is going on? But then he goes on to answer his own question. He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? See, he's saying the ultimate cause of division, conflict, separation in our relationships is really our own sinful desires. Now, the word desire that James chooses to use here is the same word that we get our English word hedonist from. This is the Greek word for desire. A hedonist is one who pursues their own pleasure above anything else. And James is saying that tendency we all have to put ourselves first, to have our pleasure met first, is at battle. It's waging war within us. And that battle is the essence of sin. Sin is being turned inward, putting ourselves above everyone else. And it's that tendency, that war, that battle that leads to conflict and division and separation. It leads to damage and even destruction in so many relationships. Now, James goes on to say there are three big areas where we find these desires at war. First off, we want more stuff. We want more possessions. Look at verse 2. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. This is materialism. And that materialism, that desire for more and more and more causes fighting and division and relational brokenness. When we covet other people's stuff, when we always want more and more and more, it causes us to do and to say awful things. Well, then James says we also have this battle where we want more pleasure. Look at verse 3. It says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. When that becomes our chief motivator, it leads to conflict and to fighting. When we say, you know what, I'll do whatever I want, whatever feels good to me, no matter how much or how negatively it affects someone else. I mean, think about how much we hear that today. When there's things that we can do to help others, but we say, I'm going to put my needs before the needs of others. It's wanting more pleasure. Finally, we also have another battle where we want more power and more prestige and more popularity. It's where we care about what other people think more than what God thinks. Look at John 12, 43, where it says, for they loved human praise more than the praise 
of God. The evil desires that work within us that cause fighting and conflict, it's wanting more possessions, more pleasure, more power, more prestige. And all of those lead us to be in conflict, to divide, to fight. But not only that, the ultimate effect is that they lead us to be separated from God. You see, these conflicts that we have in our relationships, these conflicts even between Christians, show that we have not kept God's grace and his goodness at the forefront of our life. Now, James, as you've probably gathered by now, if you've been reading through his book, he does not pull any punches. He tells it like it is. So look at verse 4. Kind of sums up how serious this is. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. He's saying all of these indicators, all of these selfish desires mean that we have adulterous hearts. Basically, he's saying when we separate ourselves from God, when we grow distant from him, when we go our own way, it's because we are being spiritually unfaithful to God. Now, that is powerful, stark, emotional language. I mean, imagine the horror of a husband or wife discovering their spouse in the middle of an affair. And James is saying, this is precisely what happens when you turn your back on God. When we put our loyalty or our hope in a politician or a party, when we put our loyalty or our hope in our investment portfolio, when we put our loyalty and our hope in ourselves. Instead of God, James is clear that when we take an honest assessment of our own hearts, we're going to find selfishness and we're going to find sin. And that's the cause of the conflict, the division, and the struggles in our relationships. You see, the default setting for every one of us, is to make ourselves the center of the universe. It's a struggle every one of us has. We inevitably turn inward, and we think everything revolves around us. Now, James says some other kind of curious things in verse 4. He says, if you're a friend of the world, then you're an enemy of God. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't love other people. And he's not saying don't take care of the earth. But what he's saying is, consider what your heart's desire truly is. What is your motivation in your life? What do you truly care about? Because the health of our relationship with God can often be gauged by what our heart's desire is. So do we care more about what other people think or what God thinks? Do we chase after the things the world chases after? Or are our deepest desires the things of God? Do we care more about accumulating earthly power and position? Or are we more concerned with following Jesus who 
consistently served others and went lower and lower. James goes on in verse 5 to even say God is a jealous God. And maybe you've heard that phrase before and it's hard to wrap your mind around. What it is not saying is that God has a self-esteem problem. And what it is not saying is that God can't keep his emotions in check. What it actually means is he desperately wants to be in a relationship with you. He desperately wants you to come back to him. Look at verse 6. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. Because after all that we've covered, because of all of these sinful desires, the separation it causes, here's God's reaction. He gives grace generously. Isn't that such a great verse? It's a great one to memorize. He gives grace generously. Even with all the ways we take detours, all the ways we fracture our relationships, all the ways we separate ourselves from him, his first inclination is to give us grace, grace generously. You see, that's how he brings us back. He doesn't do it through being a stern judge and angry taskmaster. Instead, he showers us with love and grace. Romans 2.4 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Now the amazing thing about God's grace is it not only welcomes us back and forgives us, but it also transforms and changes us from the inside out. Now James goes on to say the remedy for our selfish desires, for our separation, is a really difficult word for us but it's so important. The key is submission. None of us likes that word. We don't like to submit to others. But look at what James says. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble, or the word is submit yourselves before God. To submit means to yield. It means to put God first. It means be honest about where you stand, how you are hopeless on your own. Be honest about how far you have fallen short. It takes a lot of humility to submit, but God is generous in his grace. Now, as you may or may not know, Jesus grew up with numerous brothers and sisters. I mean, imagine that, being a sibling of Jesus. But they weren't on board with his ministry at all. When he started to teach, when he started to travel, they actually went and tracked him down one day and tried to convince him to come home. They're like, Jesus, you're embarrassing us. Everyone is talking behind our backs. Jesus, just give it up. Stop saying you're the son of God. Come home. Be a part of the carpentry franchise. But then their mind was finally changed. And it was after they saw him killed, and then he rose again on Easter. One day they were laying flowers in front of his tomb, and just a few days later they were having a conversation with him, and they were eating a meal with him. And so James, who was his most famous brother, actually submitted 
to Jesus. He called him his Lord and his Savior, and he received forgiveness for his rejection of Jesus during his ministry. And then in the year 62, the chief priest held a trial where James was found guilty and he was stoned to death because of his faith in his brother. And before he died, James wrote this letter that we're reading this winter. And in our passage today, James is speaking for himself as much as he is for us. He's talking about how we ultimately come back to God. He says, come close to God and he will come close to you. There's no need to grovel, no need to tiptoe, no need to earn it. In fact, the best picture of this is the, parab- par- uh, the prodigal son parable, where as soon as the lost son was visible on the horizon, his father ran to wrap his arms around him. That's a picture of God and you. When you take a step towards God, He'll run towards you. James knew what this was like personally. He's thinking, I had all these years to support my brother, but I turned my back on him. James knew what it was like to be far from God, but then to make a comeback. So how do we do it? How do we make a comeback What do we do when we realize that we become separated from God? How do we draw near to him? How do we come close to him? Well, in verses 7 to 10, James gives us five clear steps that every one of us can put into practice in our life. First thing, submit yourself to God. We talked about this earlier. It means put him first. The Christian life is about submission. It's about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. So what is the thing in your life that's the hardest to give up? What is the thing that is the hardest to trust to God? That's where he's calling you to submit today. Number two, he says, resist the devil. It's no accident that James goes from submission to talking about the devil because they're closely connected. Satan is real and active in our world and he wants us to shift our loyalty from God to something else. James is saying you have to acknowledge Satan's influence in the world. Understand the danger that he brings and then do all that you can do to resist him. Do not believe his lies or his schemes. But the incredible promise he makes is that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Now what that means is the devil cannot be ignored because that leaves us vulnerable. But on the other hand, we need not fear him because God is greater. And so are his promises. Number three, wash your hands and purify your hearts. This is repentance. It's a churchy word, which means turn around. We need to turn around and come back to God. 
recognize that we have made mistakes, we've taken a detour. But what James wants us to understand is that repentance involves both our hands and our hearts. Repentance involves actions and attitude, behavior and mindset. To turn around and repent should mean a change in our mind, but also a change in our actions. Number four, this is a key part of repentance. James says, have sorrow and deep grief for your sins. Now, he's not saying we can't be joyful and happy, but what he's saying is never forget the gravity of your situation. Never forget the seriousness of your sins because it cost Jesus his life. He gave up his life because of our sins. And that should cause humility. Number five, humble yourself before God. Some translations say bow down before God. An understanding of what Jesus has done for us should drive us to our knees, but then there's another incredible promise, and he will lift you up. The word there is to exalt, to honor, and to bless. When you bow down before God, when you humble yourself, you are exalted and honored and blessed by God. Now, think of how amazing this is because we gather together as the church of God to exalt God, to bless God, to honor God. But in this moment, he flips it around and he exalts us and he honors us and he blesses us. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you feel weary Maybe you feel helpless. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel disheartened. Maybe you feel like giving up. Well, what every one of us needs, every single one of us, every one of us needs to make a comeback. And what you need to know, the good news, is that God is waiting for you to turn around, to come back to him. And his ironclad promise is that when we take a step, he comes running at us. When we come close to God, he will come close to us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are a God of comebacks, that you've made a way for us to come back into a relationship with you, no matter what we've done or said or thought. None of us are beyond hope. None of us are helpless because of the power of the cross. And so God, help us today to take a step towards you, to step out in faith and trust and love and to reestablish that relationship with you Help us to walk closely with you each and every day and help us to radiate your love and your grace to every person we meet. God, we pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And let's all say together.